Welcome to today's episode of Unframed, a podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pakroy. Today's episode is the first recording of a series of talks that I recorded at Turbine Art Fair in July this year, 2019. Thanks so much to Turbine Art Fair for allowing me to come in and record these talks and put them on the Unframed podcast platform. I think it's really important to take talks and panel discussions and walkabouts that are happening within institutions and to put them online to be readily and freely accessible. The talks program this year at Turban Art Fair was curated by Kefil Wesawisa and Nomvuyu Horwitz, and I think it was a really impressive lineup. There was a variety of voices uh, around a variety of topics within the industry, and I think that it was a really well-curated program. So the first talk that I recorded at the fair, which I wanted to publish on Unframed, was about art investment. It was entitled, It Was Given to Me to Give to You?, Art Collecting and Intergenerational Wealth Creation. This panel discussion was with Jack Ginsberg, who is the founder of Ampersand Foundation and a philanthropist and art collector, Sean Myersfeld, an investment specialist, and Dr. Alistair Meredith, a senior art specialist at Strauss & Co. In this panel, art's potential as form of wealth creation and legacy building will be explored. Investment specialists and collectors will discuss how establishing an art collection can be an integral part of a robust investment portfolio. Enjoy listening to this interesting conversation about art investment. Uh, all right, everyone. Uh, welcome to It Was Given to Me to Give to You, a discussion on intergenerational wealth creation and the efficacy of an art collection as part of an investment portfolio. And I hope I've used all the right terminology there. <laughs> um, so to introduce uh, Dr. Alistair Meredith is our moderator, and we have Sean Myersfeld and Jack Ginsberg on the panel. So enjoy. I'll hand over to you. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank, thank you all. Uh, all for coming. Um, I mean, I'm particularly excited to to get the insight uh, from from Jack and Sean. Um, I'll sort of be gently uh, moderating it, but um, I think we're all really here to to hear what Jack and Sean uh, have to add. So yes, uh, the title of the talk is um, "It Was Given to Me to Give to You: uh, Art Collecting and Intergenerational uh, Wealth Creation." Um, firstly, my name is Alistair. Uh, I work at an auction house uh, at Strauss and Company, um, mainly on the pictures and sculpture side of things. Um, but I suppose we, uh, we get asked a lot about investment, uh, um, art as an investment class. Um, and it's always a very, very tricky uh, topic to talk about for a, for a whole number of reasons. Um, but hopefully we'll expand on some of them, uh, some of them today. Um, I will let Jack and Sean maybe introduce themselves um, very briefly or, or as long as you'd like to. Uh, but Jack first, if you could maybe just introduce yourself. Thank you. Um, my name is Jack Ginsberg. Um, I've had an interest in art since a very early age. My um, parents were largely interested in um, um, literature and drama, and there were a million books in the house. Not too much art, but um, I did inherit a few nice pieces um, from them, one of which was um, an Ermestern gouache, which was given to them as a wedding present. Now, in those days, you, if you bought a wedding present for your very best friend, you would pay a guinea. I wonder if anyone knows what a guinea is anymore. But 
Um, so whoever gave it to them, and I'm not sure who gave that Irma Stone to them, paid a guinea for it, and I inherited it. And um, there weren't many other artworks in the house, but I was particularly interested in art, whereas they were interested in literature. And when I was in my early 20s, I saw some artists' books, and this was a kind of uh, agglomeration of my parents' interest and my interest, in that um, these were artworks in the book format. And that became a passion, and I collected artists' books for 50 years. So um, that's just an introduction. I'm also interested in um, art philanthropy and started a... Um, um, public benefit organization called the Ampersand Foundation, which has now been going to my um, amazement for 22 years. But um, I think uh, that's good enough for the introduction. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, Jack. Um, my name is Sean Myersfeld. I'm the founder of a company called Marlow Capital, which is an alternative investment firm. Um, based in Johannesburg and focused on investments in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa. I'm fortunate enough that, uh, very similar to Jack, I grew up in a family that collected art and I've been surrounded by art my entire life. Um, starting from my, my late grandfather, who was a, a fairly well-known collector of South African art and antiques. Um, and, and that's just something that's, I suppose, been part of my life ever since. Um, so even to this day, I collect art, both South African and international, um, and it's something that I almost cannot imagine as, as not being part of my life. Um, so, so I suppose that, that mix of my kind of professional career as, as an investment advisor plus the, uh, the hobby, which is the art collection, is, is the reason that I've been invited to, to join you today. Okay, good. Well, th thanks, Sean and, and Jack. Um, I mean, I think we'll talk a little bit about the, the sort of the pure investment potential of, of, of art uh, a little later, but uh, it's very interesting to me that you've both uh, essentially got into collecting from uh, your youth or from your, uh, essentially from your, from, from growing up, from your, uh, your childhood homes. Um, because people often ask, you know, why did, why did you start collecting, uh, you know, were you influenced um, by family members or, or, or not. And I think in most cases in South Africa, uh, it's very much um, similar to, to, to your upbringing. Major, major collectors have um, had an early impulse from their, from their parents. Um, it's not always ideal because, you know, I think uh, a lot of people in South Africa haven't necessarily grown up in homes uh, or with families, with, with collections. Um, how do you think we can go about trying to change that? I mean, is, is it an entirely cultural thing? Uh, or are there ways that we can go about trying to uh, um, increase the interest uh, in collecting um, from people who haven't had that kind of background? Do you want to maybe start? <laughs> okay. Um, well, first of all, I think that um, Art as an investment portfolio is kind of antithetical to the way I was brought up. Um, I, I was always taught, the first thing is you've got to like it. And secondly, if it happens to increase in value, you're just damn lucky. But of course, as one becomes more and more um, interested in art and learns more, perhaps one's um, buying tastes do change. Now, I've been collecting South African art for 50 years, and a lot of the things have gone up, but everything 
um, if you if you bought anything 50 years ago, if you bought things in the 50s as I did, uh, <laughs> or not quite, but I bought 50s objects in the 70s, and even um, plastic crockery from the 50s fetches ridiculous amounts of money, the ugliest thing that was ever made in art history. But um, I... I um, I think that that art can certainly be regard re be regarded as an alternative investment, but I don't think that's the reason why one should buy art. One should first of all, you've got to live with it. Although when I say that to friends, they say, "Well, you've got far too much art to live with. Most of it is in print drawers." <laughs> so um, I do think that. You, one can get investment help if one wants to buy art as an investment. And, of course, it's nice that it sometimes turns into an investment, uh, inadvertently, really. Um, but there are wonderful people who know more about what... Uh, I mean, I had some wonderful guides during my life, people who recommended things. And um, I never bought anything that I didn't love, or I felt my criterion was I'd never bought anything that I couldn't live without, because there were at least a hundred things that I liked for every one that I bought. Now, I think that's quite the opposite of some people. I used to go to um, art fairs with Willem Bossoff, and um, I always loved his art, and we've been friends for many years, but he disliked so much that I liked. Oh, yeah. And I thought he, he brought perhaps the artistic perspective to the, the criterion of what one should buy or what one shouldn't buy. But he agreed with me that really you had to like something if you wanted to buy it. Now, it, it, as far as other investments are concerned, I mean, I no more like Anglo-American than I like Investec. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. a, a completely different, you, a different criterion for for buying an investment of any sort. Um, I, um, I very quick, early in my art collecting career, if you can call it that, I um, changed to some extent to buying artists' books rather than just South African art. And in that case, um, it certainly wasn't really an investment decision. Um, I did buy a book in 1966 for $100, which is now worth 8000 But I promise you that's the exception that proves the rule, rather than... <laughs> so, um, it's a, art is a passion, really. Um, investment is a different kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, my, my late boss, uh, Stefan Veltz, uh, he always used to uh, very much go uh, along those lines. He would always advise people never, never to buy work uh, essentially for the pure investment nature of it, uh, but ultimately to, to buy work that was of high quality and that one loved or, or really enjoyed. I mean, the, the example I, I often give in, in talks is a, a very famous um, large-scale etching by William Kentridge. It's called Sleeper, and it can either be Sleeper Red or Sleeper Black. And um, it's essentially an almost life-size etching of, well, a, a relatively large, overweight, naked man. Um, I mean, I happen to know that those originally sold for about 25,000 Rand when they first appeared on the market. And nowadays, you know, we sold them at auction for, for a million Rand a piece. So, yes, as an investment, uh, it, it, it was a, it was a, a, a wonderful, um, 
work to buy. But we always say, you know, would you be able to, or would you like to live with an enormous naked fat man, um, sort of in your in your kitchen or in your in your in your dining room? Um, and I think. Uh, they're surprisingly um, split in terms of the answers, uh, the answers given. But I suppose staying with uh, investing, um, Sean, um, I mean, what is your uh, approach to, to your collection in terms of investment? Or are you also more like Jack that buys very much for passion? Very similar to Jack. I, I buy what I like. Um, in fact, I've never, ever sold a work of art. And, oh. and therefore whatever increase in value may theoretically have accrued is, is nothing more than, than just that theory. Yeah. Um, I, I buy what I like. I buy works that I want to hang on the walls to be able to see and live with every single day. Um, I'm not a big fan of keeping art stored in, in folios or vaults or whatever else. Um, it's, it's important for me to be surrounded by beautiful things and, and things that I like. Yeah. Um, the, the reality is I would probably suggest to everybody that art is a very poor investment. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, it produces no income. It produces no dividends. Um, the value as and when one chooses to sell is purely determined by supply and demand and whether that particular artist is in fashion yeah, at that point in time. Yeah, whether you can actually liquidate the picture. Well, well the that's the other thing. You know, We say that Shares or bonds are fungible in that a share in Anglo-American, you use the example, is exactly the same as any other share in Anglo-American. That's not true of art. Um, there are very good works by Picasso and there's some very average works by Picasso. Uh, and trying to determine in advance what the value is going to be in 5, 10, 15 years' time is, is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it kind of you know, it raises another issue that we, we touched on earlier. Um, there is a perception that art is elitist, that there are very high barriers to entry when it comes to, to investing in art. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's something that can be quite easily debunked, you know, notwithstanding the fact that, that both Jack and I grew up in, in families and households surrounded by art. The reality is that art is everywhere. Um, in our everyday lives, we're surrounded by art, whether it's kids dancing on the side of the road or street artists that are eking out a, a living by you know, doing portraits or, or whatever else on the side of the road. Um, art can be for everyone and art should be for everyone. Um, you know, there's, there's some phenomenal research that shows that school kids exposed to art do significantly better in their core subjects of English, maths, and science. Um, there's research that shows that children from low-income households are three times more likely to earn a university degree if they're exposed to arts and culture during their, their school education. Um, you know, so, so art is not something that is for a select few high net worth individuals or anything like that. I think art is something that everybody can try and access, should try and access. And, and I think if you look at it as simply something that you like, as something that you find to be pretty or beautiful, then, then there should no there should be no barrier to entry to it. Really, it's, it's simply a question of something that you find attractive, um, and ignoring then whether it ever increases in value or not. It's something that'll give you pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean to give. 
to give you all maybe a, a very, very broad historical overview um, in terms of the real uh, engines or, or power um, of, of, of buying art um, here in this country. Um, very broadly, sort of the middle of the century, uh, the major buyers and collectors tended to be uh, what we would describe as, as connoisseurs. Um, collectors who were uh, buying artwork because they knew what they were buying and they loved the actual work and essentially they were buying for themselves. Uh, a little bit later on, uh, mainly in the 80s and 90s, uh, the market was mainly driven by corporate collecting. Um, you know, major, major South African corporates and parastatals, um, they spent a, a huge amount of money um, putting together these wonderful uh, 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 big art collections, which uh, has, for all intents and purposes, uh, mainly stopped now. And then really in the last 10 or 20 years, uh, it's been driven more than anything by the idea of investment. Uh, more and more people, more and more of our clients uh, are very much buying work because of what they see uh, as the investment uh, potential. And I think I, I mean, I agree with both of you is that, and that uh, art should never really be seen as an out and out reliable um, kind of investment. Um, it is not like a share that you can sort of click a button and, and, and liquidate immediately. Although I suppose as, as a slight counter to that, um, you are able to enjoy an artwork on your wall much more than, than, than maybe a share on a computer. Um, but, but Sean, you did mention the idea of art should be for everyone. There shouldn't be any barriers. Um, and absolutely, I agree with you. Um, unfortunately, in our country, there are a, a lot of barriers. Um, so many uh, collections are hidden, uh, out of view. Uh, and sadly, in most cases, our state or municipal uh, collections uh, maybe aren't what they used to be. There isn't the money in the arts uh, as they used to be. It's not seen as, as, as the priority it should be. Um, Jack, of course, uh, maybe this, this question can be for you because I don't think any or very, very few people in this country um, have been as incredibly generous as you have in terms of uh, making your collection uh, available to the public. But uh, I suppose, firstly, you can maybe explain uh, some of the things uh, you and your foundation uh, have done in terms of allowing the public to, to view your collection. And then uh, as a second part uh, of the question, how can we go about trying to expose uh, the South African public more and more to 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 good quality collections. Yes, um, it's extraordinary that, um, as you say, the corporate collections have been built up and are seldom seen. Um, if you happen to work in one of the corporate offices, you do see some of the collections on the wall, but generally the public is never sees them. Um, it's a pity, but. Even worse, the public never sees private collections yeah. unless you happen to be a friend of the collector and go for dinner. So yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's extraordinary. And there have been talks um, at WAM, with, with whom I'm collected, we're connected, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to actually try to show some private collections in the museum okay. because they're absolutely wonderful, wonderful things um, out there. Um, I, uh, if one is a collector, at some stage of one's life, one has to think, okay, what's going to happen to this collection? <laughs> so there, there are two things. I mean, you either bequeath it to your children or, or other people, or you donate it to someone or some, somebody. Um, I, um, at, at some stage, I 
decided when I was collecting art that I wanted to delve more intensively into certain aspects of art, not just by what I liked. And um, I did that uh, to an extent over a period of about 35 years with Walter Battis. And um, that was hugely um, enjoyable. I had wonderful um, advice from a friend and colleague, um, Warren Zebritz, and learned a huge amount. Um, I was always interested in reading art history or reading about art history, largely South African, but um, um, internationally as well. But um, at, 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 after we um, had our exhibition of um, the Walter Battis exhibition at WAM, which was hugely popular and which, which um, was intended to be the first of a series of, of personal collections which should be on show, not, uh, not coming from their holdings, which are fam fabulous on their own. Um, it was just that, um, that, that I decided that I would give it to them because, first of all, it's very difficult to, to hold on to so many uh, pieces. And when it came to collecting sort of specifically in that respect, I was actually buying things to some extent which I didn't like okay. or didn't. I mean, I always liked Battis incredibly, but I wanted to fill in the gaps, either early, early works or works of a specific nature in order to round out the collection, which I believe is um, of far greater value than, than just the single pieces in the collection. And um, the only way it would really be seen um, and by the way, I gave about 700 works, but kept 25. Oh, 25. <laughs> I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, there were a few I actually could not give away. Um, I intend yeah. to give them, to, to bequeath them. But, um, you know, sometimes one becomes particularly attached to certain things, especially if there's a history behind how you acquired them and yeah. how perhaps how difficult it was to acquire them yeah. or how you could have acquired them in the 60s for nothing and didn't do so and had to yeah. pay a fortune for them in the in the 2000s yeah. <laughs> so um but it was it was an absolute joy to give the collection to wham who first of all put on the most wonderful exhibition yeah um sure. which i could never have done at home because obviously i couldn't hang everything i i owned yeah. um so um I do, I do believe in, in um, um, philanthropy in the arts, yeah. um, both in supporting young artists and supporting um, um, artists who, um, well, the, the best thing you can do for an artist is to buy their work, I've always yeah. believed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, obviously, I still have to, you still have to like it, but um, to an extent, if it's... Um, with with um, with some of the work, some of the books now, which I'm I'm, I'm still um, buying, I'm thinking about the students who what they're interested in rather than what I'm interested oh, in. Oh wow! Yeah. So that's a completely different view of the subject. I'm quite amazed that the students are interested in in zines, political um, political stuff. Um, polemical stuff, um, not not so much the beautiful things, yeah, yeah. but the contentious things. Oh, yeah. uh, 
So we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that uh, in a minute. Now, I mean, Jack's being incredibly modest. Um, I mean, Jack has given one of the greatest gifts, really, to, to the nation uh, in terms of uh, the art world. Uh, his collection, not only of Battis and so many other things, um, is really quite exceptional. Uh, and to have it um, on show regularly or at least available to future generations is an incredible gift. Also, you know, Jack's spoken a little bit about his book collection, um, artist book collection. It's not just a little artist book collection. It's one of the greatest artist book collections on the planet. Uh, and it's not just South African. Uh, it's it, it's a, got a full um, international range and scope. Um, and I don't think people will or take a, a very long time for people to realize just how lucky we are uh, as, a, um, or as, as a university at WITS, but also as a, as, as a city and a country to, to have access to that, Jack. So, I mean, you know, we always, always uh, uh, thank you. Um, but, Sean, in terms of uh, your collection, uh, where do you see it uh, going, uh, essentially, uh, when you pass? I mean, do you collect also with your family in mind? Um, and also, do you uh, have you sort of made preparations uh, in terms of where it might go or how it might be handled at various points? Not, not yet, and, and maybe yeah, that's well, uh, slightly naive of me. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've got uh, three children, so clearly, um, at some point in time, uh, a big part of the collection will end up in their hands. Mm. Um, but, I'm, but I'm a big believer in, in giving back to society and communities. Um, I've already donated an, a number of works to the Witz Art Museum, to other galleries and museums. Um, I, I think it's, I suppose, it's the, the least one can do um, to try and make works of art available to the public. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, one, one finds oneself in a situation where, you know, as Jack said, you, you simply don't have the space to, to hang everything yeah. on a wall. And, and for me, it's, it's a shame to have works sitting in folios. Um, so I'd much rather they're on display and, uh, and other people can get the, the benefit and the value from them. Yeah. I mean, as a, I suppose as, as a, an auctioneer, someone that's uh, always researching and trying to value work, one of the biggest problems we have uh, is the lack of archives in the country. Um, you know, for, for various reasons, uh, the kind of depth of literature on, on, on all our wonderful artists hasn't really been um, carefully looked after. And in so many cases, there are very, very few books uh, available on particular artists. I mean, Walter Battis may be an exception. I think there are well over 60-odd books on Walter. But, I mean, take someone like Alexis Preller, there are really three books between, what, 1947 and, uh, and 2013. Um, but the archive element is also uh, hugely troubling. Um, and I suppose that historically uh, or traditionally should really be the state's uh, responsibility uh, in an ideal world. Um, again, thinking about all, all the limitations, um, where do you think this, this, the state should be making a bigger effort uh, in the art world in South Africa? You know, it, it, it's a very difficult one, that, because we live in a country with massive unemployment, with massive poverty. It, it becomes very difficult to justify investment in art in a situation where people don't have running water or access to electricity yeah, and things yeah. like that. Um, and, and in fact, I believe the, uh, the previous panel got quite uh, contentious heated, yeah. and heated when it came to issues around uh, art as elite, elitist and, and so on and so forth. Um, the, the reality is 
I personally believe that there's always has to be a place for art in, in any society. Um, there's, there's proven studies that show that art has got a positive impact on people with incidents of depression, um, yeah. Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that. Um, there's significant value, I think, to be had in art for the sake of people getting in touch with their emotional side, understanding compassion, understanding the people around them, um, culture and values in a society and the extent to which art conveys that. So I, I think that's the, the difficulty that we find ourselves in in South Africa at the moment with budget constraints, with the, the imperatives that we have from a social point of view just how to find the budget and the time and the priority for art. And, and I think that's really where the private sector needs to play a, a bigger role. Because yeah. I think the private sector can step into the reach to some extent, yeah. where, where government perhaps has got more um, strained finances and, and probably bigger priorities at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I suppose we we are lucky that uh, that is happening to some extent. Sort of, to sort of a, a, as you mentioned, sort of following more in a, an American model, um, in in that more and more private collectors are uh, allowing their uh, collections to be exposed to the public, and also building these legacy projects. Um, you know, I think most recently uh, the Norval Foundation. Uh, perhaps uh, a lot of you have have heard of the Norval Foundation, or hopefully visited the Norval Foundation, um, which is in in Steenburg in the Cape. Um, also, the Javit Foundation uh, is uh, that sort of wonderful concourse structure built over Linwood Road um, in Pretoria, which will be another uh, sort of similar venture. But yes, we're still, um, I think, terribly hamstrung by the fact that there's still so so little exposure. Um, how much time do we have uh, left just to keep an eye on it? Half an hour, perfect. Um, Jack, uh, I'm not sure if there are any potential sort of donors uh, in the room, but um, you, you have mentioned about how you go about practically um, preparing to donate works uh, in some ways. How, how have you found it? Because, of course, you've gone through the whole process. Well, um, first of all, supporting the arts. I mean, the arts and culture industry in this country is huge. There are many people earning a living um, making arts, making artifacts, making stuff. Um, um, we've got a wonderful... Um, organizations in this country who, who teach art and promote the making of art um, and the making of jobs. Jobs are the, the critical the critical thing. So um, I'd like to um, ask everybody to stop supporting rhinos and rugby and start supporting art. <laughs> uh, it's um, art is the stepchild of the, the um, charitable yeah, causes, I'm afraid. Um, often at the bottom of the list. Um, I've sat on, on some wonderful um, foundations, uh, corporate foundations, who give away money. And, um, you know, they, they'll give to um, medical, educational, um, everything except art. And on one of the foundations where I sat, um, I managed to persuade them eventually that in order to stop being total Philistines, they should give 5% to the arts, and they eventually agreed. But if I hadn't been there, they wouldn't have. <laughs> so uh, that was that was quite useful. But if one is um, charitably minded, and um, there are, are ways and means, limited in this country, far more sophisticated in places like America, where there are 
sort of tax in incentives and and ways and means of 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 um, sort of maximizing your your giving there there's some extraordinary ideas the, the one which i love is that um if you form a, form a public benefit organization let's say you you're thinking of giving 10000 rand a year to the arts and you can see yourself perhaps doing that for 20 years so if you are in a position to give 200,000 rand to a public benefit organization, of which you're the trustee, um, you can then use that 200,000 rand to invest in something or other, perhaps preference shares, which would return 10%. And um, that's tax-free. Now, if you, if you had that money in your own hands and had preference shares, the tax uh, rate in this country is virtually 50%. So you could only really give away half as much as you could than, than through a public benefit organization. Um, and there's some wonderful tax attorneys in this country. I'm not a tax attorney. You, you, if, you, if you're in the position of wanting to give to the arts, you need a good tax attorney. But um, there, for instance, you can... Um, donate to institutions which have a what's called an 18A certificate, which means that um, if you give to them, you will be given a um, piece of paper which allows you to take a tax deduction um, up to 10% of your income. It's a bit like tithing. So if you'd like to give it to WAM instead of your local religious organization, which the Bible suggests you might give to You'll, you'll be able to deduct it from your from your income. Um, so there are there are ways and means of trying to give more than than just um, you know giving a normal donation. Um, the and and of course there's there are fun, fantastic educational opportunities and all educational institutions like universities have the 18A certificates. So whatever you give to them can be of benefit to them. And it doesn't have to be art. It can be bursaries for art students. It can be bursaries for any student, of course. It doesn't have to be art. In fact, a university is a wonderful vehicle because whether you're interested in nuclear physics or art, you can donate to them with a benefit to you. Um, so um, I, I encourage altruism, but um, you know, do it efficiently if you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, sure. I suppose staying, uh, I suppose with with financial intricacies and with your financial uh, background, um, is there a, a, a trend? Uh, do you think towards um, sort of general armchair investors looking to diversify more specifically into art? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's certainly been a trend in the last ten or fifteen years, uh, and probably a function of abnormally low interest rates worldwide. Yeah. Um, you know, in a situation where historically bonds or um, fixed income instruments could yield you five, six, seven percent, um, there was probably far less motivation and incentive to invest in art, which, which as we said earlier, yields absolutely nothing from an income and a return point of view. Um, what we've seen over the last few years with QE1 and 2 and 3 and, you know, pretty much zero interest rates worldwide um, is that real assets have appreciated significantly in price. Um, of course, that started with the housing bubble in America where everyone was piling into real estate, um, but it, it applies similarly to, to art as well. I think the one innovation that we've seen 
worldwide that hasn't quite yet made its way to South Africa is the advent of art funds. Mm. Yeah, I was um, going to ask know, you about that. We, we talked about the difficulties of, of buying art as an individual investor. Um, in the same way that very often you would delegate your share portfolio to an old mutual or an investec or coronation or somebody like that. Um, in places like America and the UK, there are specialist listed art indices yeah. where you can invest in a you know, quasi-share type instrument, um, but it is managed by people who are buying art for the sake of long-term investment value. Yeah. Art experts, art historians, people who theoretically are better informed than you are, um, and over the entire portfolio should be able to earn a better return than, than you can as an individual investor. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a very accessible way to, to access art as an investment um, and, and add that element of diversification to your portfolio. Yeah. There, there's quite a lot of research that shows that art does not correlate particularly well with, with other assets. Um, so, so from that point alone, you'd expect it to be a a good addition and a, and a nice complement to any long-term investment portfolio. Um, but art as an asset class, if, if you look at studies going back 50, 70, 80 years, has only shown 3 or 4% growth per annum. Yeah. Um, it's underperformed shares on, on that basis and is probably in a similar type of return profile to, to government bonds. So not massive returns, certainly not the type of returns that we've seen in the last few years. And, and I think, you know, people also have very romantic ideals about finding a dusty old kind of piece yeah. of paper in the basement and it turns out to be a, a lost kind of Renoir or something like that and, and suddenly it's, it's worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, the, the reality is that, you know, the vast majority of the art world as we, as we know it does not sit in indices and it does not go through the Christie's and the Sotheby's auction houses of this world um, and probably never increases in value whatsoever simply because either it's not sold or, you know, or it doesn't have the intrinsic value to, to generate um, any sort of a return. Yeah. So, so I think art funds could be a, a fantastic yeah, I think opportunity. Very exciting. I mean, I, 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 I would love the idea of having... Um, uh, available art funds uh, locally, um, but bearing in mind that there aren't any, do you think in within financial institutions there are people uh, sort of equipped or well enough equipped to to advise on those things? I mean, I, I would Pro guess probably, probably not. not. Probably not. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I think I think what people do is they end up relying on the art dealers and and the various auction houses for yeah. um, for direction and for guidance. Yeah. And, um, and that in itself. You know, it comes with with conflicts of interest. Yeah. Um, to the extent that gallery owners are representing a, a certain artist and and looking to to try and um, you know, I suppose in, increase that artist's interests and and really try and sell as many works as possible. Um, so it's it's a very difficult one and yeah. and and something that's not going to be solved in in the short term. Yeah, so you know, and we, I mean, out of interest, we've had, I mean, over the last probably five years at Strauss and Company, uh, a handful of economists set up meetings with us to discuss the idea of creating a South African art index. Um, and I, I always enjoy sort of watching their faces drop when they realise when when we give them all the. Um, 
hundreds of different elements that build into into art value and art appreciation, deep and appreciation, um, an out and out index uh, for art is, uh, in my mind, almost almost impossible. impossible. Uh, and, and, and the reality is, if it did exist, it would probably be dominated by four or five artists. Yes, yeah. It would be your you know Kentridges and Pierniefs and Ermistons and, and maybe two or three others. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't be representative of art as a as a total class of asset. Yeah, and I mean, from our perspective, it, 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 it's it's quite worrying. Um, we are getting more and more clients, as I, as I touched on a bit earlier, coming to us um, asking pure financial investment questions. You know, they're coming to us to say, you know, I, I I'd like to buy something that will, um, you know, triple in value over the next five years. Uh, and of course, from our perspective, it would be very easy to say, well, take that one um, because, because they'd buy it on the spot. And of course, we'd never do that. Um, but it, it, it is a, a slightly worrying trend uh, that, that, that so much um, energy in the art world is thinking entirely about, uh, about investing. Um, on that front, uh, just a, a sort of a more general question. Uh, there's, of course, huge interest in African art and, and specifically contemporary African art. Um, uh, not only in academic circles and major curatorial uh, circles, but also major uh, international collectors. Um, in terms of your own collecting, do you are you thinking more about Africa uh, maybe now than you have in the past? Very much so. Um, in, in fact, as recently as two weeks ago, I, I bought a work by a, a wonderful Swazi artist. Um, there's a... Um, there's an American artist called God Amer who was um, originally born in Egypt, mm. um, who's making waves very much on the international scene at the moment and is just a phenomenal, phenomenal artist, talking primarily about women's issues and, and growing up in a, a very kind of male-oriented, dictatorial Muslim world and, yeah. and you know, a, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the issues that come along with being a woman in a type of environment. Um, but absolutely, you know, I, I, I think if you take the starting point that you buy what you like, yeah. then there really are no kind of boundaries, whether it's country or otherwise. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I get to travel quite a lot, both both for work and otherwise. And and if I find something like I I will buy it, whether it's a South African artist or otherwise. Yeah. Um, but but there's no doubt I'm I'm starting to see a lot more. African art, and, and probably more specifically sub-Saharan African art yeah. um, in the last few years. And, and I think it's also because the South African um, gallery owners are, are starting to, to spread their wings slightly and, and yeah. starting to um, show those works, whereas yeah. previously they were far more insular. Yeah, more, more, far, far more parochial. And I think we're, we're very lucky that our, our, our major galleries um, are doing such a good job for, for us on, an, on the international stage. You know, uh, most of our major galleries are, are, are represented at all the major international fairs, and that kind of cross-pollination um, is, is absolutely vital. Um, and Jack, I suppose over your collecting career, you must have seen a, a, a massive, massive shift uh, in terms of um, trends and interest and fashions. Um, have you also noticed a, a, a move towards the contemporary and a move towards the, the, the African? Um, well, I think the contemporary art has always been the most popular, whatever age you come from. Yeah. But um, as far as African art is concerned, um, the, the, our exposure or my reading has been largely on South African art, and that's what I know. And often when there are African art galleries, for instance, showing at a, an art fair, 
one comes to comes to the artist or the gallery without any background and it's really difficult to kind of assimilate this this new thing however there are actually I, uh, in my book collection i um i tried desperately to get as much african um as many African artist books as I can. And I found great difficulty in doing so. There, we do have um, you know, some Nigerian books and a few from Ghana. Um, but on the whole, difficult. Somebody asked me the other day, what would I, which artist would I recommend, African artists, from an um, artist book point of view? Yeah. And I came up with about eight options. Which is ridiculous. There should be 800 options. Now, I don't know if that's my, my ignorance or whether or not um, the genre hasn't taken off. The only other collection of artist books in Africa is at the Alexandria Museum in Egypt. But they have a small collection of about 200 books. Um, the, it, it was really extraordinary. Some years ago, the, um, the National Museum of African Art in Washington, D.C., decided they were going to put on um, an exhibition of um, African artist books. And, you know, they asked me who I would recommend, and I had a few suggestions, um, mostly South African, I'm afraid. But, um, and I also re I recommended Kara Walker. Kara Walker is a very famous African-American artist um, and who's made wonderful sort of pop-up artist books. And I got quite an irate uh, email back to say, Kara Walker is an um, African-American artist. They've got their own museum down the mall. Oh, yeah. We want African artists like Willem Bosov. I thought, yeah. wow. That's, <laughs> it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. But um, they did put on a fantastic exhibition with a lovely catalogue of um, um, artist books from Africa. I think it was 55% from South Africa. Yeah, yeah. So they also had difficulty in, in sort of widening the breadth of their, their interest. Um, but yes, uh, South African, so, uh, African art is definitely not only the flavor of the month in South Africa, but worldwide. I mean, yeah. people are taking much more interest in African art, which is great. Yeah, um, wonderfully exciting for us, absolutely. Um, sorry. My, yeah, sorry, Jack. I just would like to mention one thing. You know, the, the South African galleries who take art to all the art fairs, yeah. this is a kind of a scam of some sort, because in order for them to qualify to, to, um, or to be allowed to show on those fairs, they have to represent international artists as well as South African artists. So I feel that when they're going to the, the, the big fairs, which they do at great cost to themselves, they should be exposing South African art at those fairs. And yet, what they're doing is, South African galleries are are, are showing artists from from Europe in European art fairs. What is that all about? Yeah, yeah that's it, really it's strange. it's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I think. Uh, well, I think maybe for the last five or ten minutes, um, we're happy to answer or, or try and answer any questions uh, that anybody has. Um, do we have any questions? Yes. How do you want to do it? Okay. Uh, maybe we can do a round of questions, return the mics, and then okay. one more. Take that. Okay. Thanks. Hi. Um, just just uh, two points. Um, 
So I just wanted to comment on the comment about living with an artwork, something pretty on the wall. Um, do you not think that there's this is problematic in a sense in that it's encouraging like an easiness or a complacency with audiences, people that aren't being challenged by the artwork. It's just something they, that's nice and it matches their couch. Um, and then therefore it encourages artists to start producing that kind of work more because they know it's going to sell and because that's what people want to buy. So I just wanted to ask about that. And then um, in a very similar kind of vein, um, I have a friend that started kind of dealing art and she's kind of dealing with her kind of young collector, um, high net worth individuals that are wanting to start buying art. And, you know, they ask questions like, oh, who should we be buying? Who's the latest? Who's the, the emerging artist that we should be buying? And, you know, I don't think she knows. I mean, I don't know who knows, but, um, you know, I think there's, there's such a sheep mentality in this kind of up and coming collector group. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, someone like Nelson Makoma is, is someone who, and Benon Lutaya was is some are people who recently passed away are two people that kind of this group of people were, were wanting to buy and they only wanted to buy these two artists. And, um, I guess what the question is, who who decides? Who who are the ones? How and also because these two young men who unfortunately Benon's passed away now, he doesn't have a future, but how do we know that such young artists are actually going to be worthwhile investments? Or, you know, because I think a lot of these young collectors are thinking in that way. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, well a a lot of questions there. Um Yes, there is a bit of a sheep uh, mentality in the South African market. And I think you have to have a, a strong backbone to be a, a good collector. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think one should be swayed by those kind of um, flash-in-the-pan trends. Um, you mentioned Nelson McCombe. I'm not in any way suggesting he's a flash-in-the-pan. Of course, he's been on the cover of Time magazine. He's been picked up by the likes of Jay-Z and Oprah Winfrey and uh, and Black Coffee. And, and yes, that would... Um, give his market a real shot in the arm. Um, but I think I would always advise to come back to the fundamentals, uh, which would be um, learning as much as you can about the artist uh, before, before purchasing, um, and also speaking to uh, those in the know, you know, auction houses, gallerists, artists, but then also ultimately going back to, 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 to what one likes. Um, your earlier question about, uh, you know, is, can art sometimes be too easy? You know, do artists sometimes uh, paint to their market? Um, that has happened and that will, I think, always happen. I mean, if you take someone like um, Henk Pierniev, you know, when Pierniev came back from Europe in 1926, he just wanted to paint these avant-garde geometric pictures, um, which he did for all of 18 months, and then he stopped because he couldn't sell them. So, of course, he had to revert to a more naturalistic, uh, saleable, uh, aesthetic. And it definitely happens. Um, and you talk about artwork being challenging and is that important? You know, I, I, I would always say as a short answer, no. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to buy uh, an artwork that is in your mind or to your eye pretty, um, that you happen to enjoy hanging on your wall, uh, whether it is cerebral or academic or difficult or challenging or not, um, you know, I, I, I would never really... Um, 
think of, uh, uh, of those as being important uh, w w when one is buying art. You know, I think if you're talking about pure investment, maybe that's a little bit different. But I think I would always go back to the, um, the answer of, uh, of buying what you love is perfectly acceptable. The lady at the back. Sorry, could I just say one thing? Yeah. Encourage your friend to buy anything to start with, whether it goes with the curtains or not, because art <laughs> purchasing becomes a habit, and you've got to take the first step. The second, the second picture they buy, they need to take some advice. Hi, um, I just wanted to ask Jack and Sean um, about art fairs and how you as collectors, um, which, whether fairs are uh, an environment that you feel is um, useful to you as a collector and in which way, and perhaps which fairs in particular um, in South Africa and perhaps elsewhere that you have found have really um, been important in terms of your collecting. Oh, could I just make one comment, though, as well, about the art funds, um, which is quite interesting. Um, in the U.S. in particular, a lot of them have closed down, um, and it was to do with commissions. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's the hidden cost of owning art, which no one yes. ever thinks about. Um, commissions, insurance, and, and it, does, it does add up quite quickly. Mm, so that's, that's why they seem to have been yeah. quite unsuccessful. Thank you. Um, sorry, I just comment on the um, the art fund. Of course, with the art fund, all you get to look at on your wall is a certificate. <laughs> it seems quite extraordinary to me to not have the, the pleasure of, of owning the art and rather having a certificate which is represents some art chosen by somebody else, which you might hate, and which is in a, a vault somewhere in Switzerland, probably, you know. <laughs> so, sorry, um, I've lost the track. What? Fairs. Oh, yes. Um, well, I, I actually, of course, um, prefer sort of biennales and, and non-commercial fairs, but we tried that in Johannesburg with uh, Johannesburg Biennale, and it lasted a while, but it didn't attract the, the sort of commercial interest which was necessary to make it sustainable. And I think in the absence of that animal, um, art fairs are the alternative, and they're wonderful to have. Um, uh, I think a lot of people feel they're far too commercial and capitalism and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, if there weren't art fairs, we wouldn't have the exposure um, to the, the, the vast amount of stuff that we do see at art fairs. And it's wonderful that um, somehow or other the, the commercialism involved makes them possible. Um, I think the more the merrier. Um, I've always liked the Johannesburg Art Fair. The Turban Art Fair is a, is a slightly different audience, but um, more more available to the young collector. And I think they really are important. Um, the politics of, of uh, the art fairs, which have come to the fore recently about, you know, what's happened to the Johannesburg Art Fair and why the brand is now being lost. I think it's going to be called the Art Joburg or something. What is it? I, but whatever it is... Um, it's complicated, but um, one thought that it was a really commercial and viable proposition, but even then, it proved to be difficult for people to sustain. So let's just thank our lucky stars that we have any art fairs.
No, I mean, just, just you know, maybe to add very briefly, um, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I don't think I've ever bought at a fair. So I attend a lot of fairs. I, I think they're phenomenal in terms of exposing you to, to new artists, to different artists, to things that you wouldn't see otherwise. But then I tend to go away and research the artist and find out what else they've done and then maybe chat to um, whichever gallery owner is representing them or try and track down the artist themselves. And, and uh, you know, I might buy six months later or a year later kind of as a result of that, ultimately initiated by the fair, but not necessarily what, uh, what is on display first time around. But for, for the vast majority, I end up buying from small galleries when I'm traveling or walking around and see something I like. And, uh, and that starts, uh, I suppose, some sort of an adventure. Um, you know, you walk a path in, in trying to learn a bit about an artist, learn about who they are, where they come from, what their work's about. Um, I think there are very few artists where I've only got one of their works on my wall. If I like something, I'll end up buying more and more and, you know, through different periods and, and kind of different uh, different stages of their own life. And and I think you, you end up starting to develop a, almost a relationship with the artist, even though you may never have met or anything like that. Um, and, and it speaks to you in different ways as, as your own kind of um, life and collection develop. Okay. Um, hopefully I don't word salad it all up. Um, so in, from, especially in your earlier discussion, I very much got a sense of um, that an investment as art is not, is not a monetary one. Yet there is still a monetary exchange that happens. Um, so, I mean, that makes it the market that it is. It's a difficult thing to judge and make a portfolio of. Um, but then, based on that, something that a lot of artists speak about, especially the entry level, is, and it's like a swear word, for exposure. Um, and I, I want to know what you're, as a sort of people who um, have been involved in, not both sides, here we go, word salad, <laughs> What, what's your opinion of that, that term and when, when companies use it and artists, is it why? Why does it happen? Well, um, young artists who, um, you know, starting off in life, they need exposure. They need to sell and they need to earn a living. Incredibly difficult. I mean, I, some of the, the, the most uh, wonderful works that I've bought in my time, I've bought from the artist directly. And um, often when I saw a piece of art, I would try to meet the artist. It was never rejected. Um, but, um, you know, artists have to do all sorts of things to get their name before the public. And I think virtually anything they do is, is to their advantage. Um, nothing against exposure. So, but it's incredibly difficult. I mean, you know, to make a, make a living as an artist is, uh, is almost impossible. As a sculptor, really impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but nevertheless, there are a lot of people in the art world who make a living and who um, somehow manage to sustain um, a life. Of course, the, the ideal thing is what so many academics do is they teach half-time and make art half-time. Yeah. 
Kim, you wanted to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Very last question. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm an educator and have a have a difficult maybe relationship with about art as an investment. But I I think it's it's problematic when you say art is not a good investment. And maybe the part that I'm thinking about is not just the object of the art. Art is a hugely important investment because you're investing in artists, you're investing in careers, you're investing in opportunities. And I think that the messaging needs to be a lot broader. And I know that's not what you meant as an object in terms of investment, but I, I just think that that um, so when when an organisation like Artist Proof Studio, which I'm involved in, where we trying where there, there are hundreds of artists trying to make a living from just their artwork, the big thing is to say yes, this is an investment. It's an investment in the vibrancy of this think, this country. I think when I say it's it's not a good investment, I'm talking from a purely monetary point of view. I think the the difficulty and the impossibility is valuing the emotional benefit that you get from owning a piece of art and that could outweigh any monetary return so yes absolutely i mean i've, I've been buying from artist proof studios for years and years and years and would i as an investment advisor looking after somebody's net worth tell them to go and buy art maybe not as a human being i'd say it's absolutely essential yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I agree absolutely, Kim. And I think, um, you know, the, I mean, Mary always speaks about the art ecosystem. You know, we, we need to keep the whole art ecosystem as healthy as possible. Um, and, and just like any ecosystem, there are uh, many, many working parts, um, you know, and, and contributions and investments can be, um, you know, in education, which of course you do such an incredible job, um, and donations as well as, uh, of course, just buying the artwork. Um, and of course, from an auctioneer's perspective, um, I, you know, I also, I don't want to sort of lose the magic entirely because uh, there are also some incredible stories of buying artworks for next to nothing and selling them for, for enormous fortunes. And uh, uh, those stories still very much exist too. Um, but I just want to, Thank uh, Jack and Sean so much. Uh, um, I mean, I have learned so much uh, from from you two today, and uh, I'm very grateful, as I'm sure the audience is too. Uh, and thank you also to the Turbine Art Fair for uh, for having us here. And these kind of uh, forums and talks and panel discussions are, are enormously important, and also part of the investment uh, in in the art ecosystem. But uh, yeah, thank you all for coming, and um, you know, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you to all the panelists for this discussion, as well as Turban Artware for allowing me to record the talk and put it on Unframed. Thank you to everyone for joining me today for this episode. And please support Unframed by following us on Facebook and Instagram. And feel free to comment on the post about this episode. I would love to know what you think about this conversation and about art investment in general. Also, if you are on iTunes, please subscribe to the channel so you can be notified when there is a new episode out and um, please leave a review as well. Thanks so much and see you next time. Bye. Bye.